your Bible with you this morning, or some device you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us. We'll be in Luke chapter 12. We've been working our way through Luke for the last several months, um, and we will work our way just chapter by chapter through this Gospel. Remember, Luke is writing an, an orderly account to Theophilus, and then ultimately the, a larger kind of Gentile audience, and then ultimately to us. An orderly account of, of the life the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus with, with Luke and his sequel acts that are tied together. And so we've been working our way through this book. Um, and, and before we look at the, the Scripture this morning in Luke 12, I just want to ask you, right, like what is your fear? Right, like we probably have multiple fears, but most of us have at least one of those fears that's just it's the one we're kind of embarrassed to say, or the one that we feel like is a little ridiculous. Um, and so I, I try, have tried very hard not to pass my fear on to my kids. Um, but since two of the three are not in the room, I'll tell you what it is. I have like a tremendous fear of flying. And, and that sounds strange for someone who lived in the Middle East and had to fly a lot. Um, and, and yet I don't enjoy flying at all. Um, it creates a level of anxiety in me, and, and I just I don't enjoy it. And I can hear all the arguments, right, of why you should be able to fly and, and car, car crashes. And all. It doesn't matter, right? It's just kind of a, it's a, just a fear that I have, right? And you can probably think of one of yours, right? That's like, you know when you say it, it's not everyone is, everyone is not saying, yeah, me too, right? That, um, and so fears are one of those things that can just um, own us. And yet, what we're seeing Jesus do here in this section of Luke, right, is he knows he has, with resolve, kind of turned his face towards Jerusalem. And he knows as he's going to Jerusalem, that ultimately is going to mean his crucifixion. And that there's going to be moments of fear and doubt and struggle for the disciples. That they're, they're having a hard time understanding Right, that the, the Messiah is going to be a suffering servant, that he's not a conquering king in a political way, the way they anticipated, but he's going to be a suffering servant. And so it means there's going to be angst, and there's going to be opposition, and they're going to be drugged before courts and authorities, and they're going to want the approval of man. And he knows there is a large amount of fear that's going to be induced in them, and he's trying to prepare them for this. And so just a couple weeks ago, I took um, the kids camping for a night. We didn't go too far because it was Janner's first night in the tent um, as a three-year-old overnight. And he wasn't sure that he wanted to go and told me repeatedly that day, I don't think I want to do this. And then that night, he and I were the last two sitting around the campfire, the, the big two, um, and, and Shanna are um, in the tent. And Janner's sitting outside of the, around the fire with me, and I said, hey, do you want to go in the tent? He's like, no. He's like, I'm not afraid of anything. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, but it's because you're here. Right? That's what Jesus is trying to show the disciples. He's like, there, there are things that you're going to be afraid of and that you're going to fear, but I'm trying to teach you who I am so that you'll be rooted and, and lasting and on this solid ground because I will not leave you nor forsake you. So he's not saying, hey, there's nothing to fear. He's just trying to show them that in that fear, where they're to turn and where they're to look and where they're to be rooted. And so in this section last week, right, he tells them, don't fear man who can kill the body, right? 
and then do nothing else to you. He said, there's one who has your eternity in their hands, and it's me, right? It's God. And so he's trying to help them understand. And so we're going to see another fear this morning as we look at um, Luke 12. So pick up with me in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is, requ- is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither a storehouse nor a barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we have some familiar verses in this section of Scripture. And we're reminded that the crowds have surrounded Jesus, right? He's teaching the disciples, and yet the crowds, last week we saw there are thousands, they're even trampling one another to get around him. And as the crowds are there, someone just kind of calls out, and most likely people are hollering out questions and situations all the time. And Luke uses this, and Jesus uses this opportunity to teach something that he knows is a potential obstacle and a fear for the disciples. And this gentleman says, hey, um, Basically, my big brother isn't giving me my stuff, right? It's, it's kind of the thing. So make him give me my stuff. Because in this day and age, um, an inheritance would have gone to the firstborn, the eldest son, and then he would dole out, right? And so a lot of it would have been in land and things that weren't liquid. And so this man is probably wanting his inheritance to be his, maybe even aside from the family. And Jesus just says, I'm not going to do that. But then he gives a warning, and it's, it's a warning to this individual, but it's also to the crowds against coveting, right? Of, against wanting something that someone else has. And we'll see both in Colossians and Ephesians that covetousness 
right, is actually called idolatry. Right? When we want something so desperately that we will pursue it, right, Scripture will tell us that it's idolatry. It's, it's making something an idol and giving worship to it other than Jesus. And so verse 15 is kind of our linchpin here. And he tells them, Take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right, this simple, beautiful statement, your life is more than what you have. And we can, we can smile and nod and agree and say, that sounds great. And then he gives them a parable to illustrate it. And he describes a really normal scenario where someone has had a, 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 like a bumper crop. And they have all this to bring in and they don't have a place to store it. And you'll notice that Jesus is not condemning wealth here. He's not condemning um, planning or, or forethought or any of those things. And, and so what he's saying is this man has a bumper, plot, a bumper crop, it's plentiful, and he's asking, what should I do? And what is condemned here is the man's mindset. Look back at what the gentleman says. Verse 17, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I will store all my grain, my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There's a theme there. I and mine. This gentleman goes, Look at what I have done. What will I do with it? He has no eye for others. He has no eye towards what the Lord is doing. And so what we see is that a fool in Scripture is the one who says there is no God. Right? Or who in their practice acts as if, as if there is no God. And so this gentleman is acting as a practical atheist. Whether he would have claimed to know God or not, he is showing that he wants what he wants with no mind for what the Lord would have for him or how to care for others. There's no mind towards God. Right? He doesn't believe that he has need. And he is taking complete security in his possessions he, does, he fails to acknowledge God and believes that what it means is ease and comfort for years to come. Right? Like he's just like, I can set back now and not worry about things because of what maybe he would even say what God has blessed him with. And so Jesus is condemning this sort of mentality. And he's warning the disciples. Right, in a, in a day and age where most would have lived more kind of hand-to-mouth, right? you're not saving a lot, there's not a lot of liquid cash on hand. Right? You had a boat, right? so you had wealth. Or you had a home, so you had some wealth. Or you had land, so you had some wealth. Right? He's warning them how susceptible they are to stuff. Church, how susceptible are we then? Right? In the West where there is an abundance, even if this morning you can look and say, others have more than me, that according to human history and even the world today across the, the nations, we have an abundance. We have a natural um, overflowing abundance of things. And so he tells them, he warns them, hey, this is not the attitude that we want to take. And so look at verse 22. So he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Right? He's telling them, I don't want you to be anxious. Listen, that is a simple thing to say. And it's not easy to feel 
or to live. Right? To not be anxious about what is going to go on in life. And so he continues with, and he just is, you can almost imagine that he's looking around. He's like, consider the ravens as one flies over. They're not working, right? They don't have a storehouse to go back to, and yet they're eating every day. They're provided for, they're cared for. If God is doing that for them, how much more, right? It's an argument from lesser to greater. How much more does he care about you? And look at the flowers in the field. They're simply doing what they're created to do, right? And God is providing for them, and they're beautiful. Kings wish they had that sort of simple um, splendor and beauty. They're playing the role that they've been given, and God is caring for and providing for them. And again, He's telling them, so how much more? Look at verse 25. And so again, as He references anxiety, He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? He's like, so you can pour all this energy and effort and emotion and anxiety into it, and it actually doesn't accomplish anything. He's like, you can't even gain a little bit of time. Right? And so there's these bigger things at play, and yet you're not even able to add time to your life. So your anxiety isn't gaining you anything. So what is he calling them to? He's saying, trust me. Trust my, my character, my provision, and my good for you. That I will care for you. And so here's where I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning. Is there's really going to be two basic approaches to life. Based on which kingdom we're pursuing. Are we pursuing our kingdom? Right? Mine? I? Right? Are we pursuing the kingdom of God? And, and, and most likely the gentleman with the barns he very likely could have been believing he was pursuing God's kingdom. His actions proved otherwise, but his mind might have believed that he had been blessed by God, that this was the hand of God, and yet he was pursuing something else. And, and someone else ended up with the bigger barns that were full because his life was taken from him. So we're going to start with, why wouldn't we trust God? Right? Like, why would we not do these simple things that we know are actually quite complicated? The first is this, is that we're prone to fear. We know this, right? We're prone to fear. Like, we want the approval of others, and when others um, withhold it from us, or we think we might lack it, it creates anxiety in us. It creates fear in us. We're, not, we're trying to figure out how to maneuver. You, we see this in elementary age kids, right, who very clearly begin to say, hey, there's people's approval that we need, and they believe they need it. And, and as parents and as grandparents, right, we're trying to help them understand, you don't, you don't have to have their approval, but they would not believe you. Right? They believe they desperately need approval, and they begin to make decisions based on that. We are a people prone to fear. And as much as we would like to say that's an elementary, playground, schoolyard thing, we know it's not. That as much as we don't want it to be true about our lives, we still want people's approval. And we'll sometimes say, well, I don't need theirs, but there's somebody else's you do. Somebody else's that you desperately are longing for and wanting and needing. And so last week, right, Jesus is ministering to the disciples and telling them, you're going to be prone to fear when people say, I'm going to take your life from you. He's like, but listen, they can only touch your life, right? I, I have your eternity. So we have a fear of approval, we have a fear of death, but there's a fear of lack, right? Of, of not having enough. It's one that you hear people talk about all the time, especially those who have been 
born into or been surrounded by poverty, right? there's a fear of not having enough, and that can be a legitimate thing that has occurred in their life. They feel like they're missing out. Here in the West, we can simply fear that we're not keeping up like with the social norms of just having stuff and having trips and having things. And so we can feel like we're missing out, which might mean that we wouldn't get approval. Right? And so all these fears begin to be over, like overlaid on each other. And they become convoluted in us. And it creates anxiety. We begin to think about me and mine rather than the kingdom of God and what He's called us to. The second reason that we might not do this is not just out of fear and are being prone to fear, but that riches are deceitful. They tempt us and they trick us and they are not what they appear to be. Listen, in Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the sower, Mark says this in verse 19. I'll start in verse 18. Um, there are others where like the word is sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. Right? It's folks who have heard the Word of God, they believe they want it, and then they just are, the world is too shiny. right? And they begin to look around and say, oh, I want those things, and I need those things. And so the Word of God and the hope of the Gospel just kind of gets laid to the side, and we mentally were aware of it, but really what we want is the shiny. right? And it's not, there's no clarification on what, because that can look different for each of us based on our own individual wants and desires. So we're tempted to be um, deceived by riches, to treasure them. Here's how maybe you can discern what that is for you this morning. That as you were laying in bed last night, or if in this moment, if you could snap your fingers and have something, and in that you would think, okay, if I could just have fill in the blank, things would be secure. I would be okay and we could just we can move forward, right? And maybe it's an amount of money in your savings account. Maybe it's an amount of money in your checking account. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's maybe like what is it that if this morning you could just say, okay, God, give me one thing, everything would be good. Right? It's the deceitfulness of riches that makes you believe that that would satisfy and that that would make everything okay. And yet Ecclesiastes, where we were. Um, um, this time last year, right, showed us that people will chase that smoke, that vapor, that mist, that they can see it, but they can't grasp it. Like we will spend a lifetime chasing what we cannot hold, believing that it will satisfy us. Like that we know that these things are deceitful for us, and that they can give us a false security. You can imagine this man as he's sitting out looking at his kingdom. Right, thinking about his barns and going, that's where they're going to be. And he's imagining how big they are. And he's going, I have years of ease before me. And he died that night. We don't often know that we are being deceived by riches until it's too late. And when it's too late, we see poof, right? We thought we were holding on to something that we weren't holding on to. And so why wouldn't we trust God? Because we're prone to fear. Why wouldn't we trust God? Because riches and the things of this world and the norms of our culture and society when it comes to riches and possessions and material things are deceitful and deceiving. That we would treasure them. And then we put security in them. Even though the security 
feels like we we're actually holding it and grasping it, and it's not revealed that we can't until it's too late, right? We put security in approval. If people like me, I'm secure. If people say good things about me, I'm I'm secure, right? If I have X amount of money relative to my situation, I'm secure. If I have X amount of things or a lack of debt, I'm secure. But it can also be in safety. I remember one night um, in Yemen, I was out in a village, I mean, in the middle of nowhere. Um, Carmen was not with me. It was just myself and two other guys. And we're, you know, we're out and we're looking, and I was just thinking about the bigness of the world and that if something like global happened in that moment, like being in Yemen wasn't the place to be, right? Like I was just kind of wrestling with some anxiety and some fear that I'm like, if something bad's going to happen, I want to be in America, not in Yemen. Right? And, and, and going, I was putting some hope and security in that and being amongst people who are like me in a place that I know well that feels secure. Right? Like we can put security simply right in, in the nation that we live in, believing that it has control over us right? in a good way, in, in a secure way, in a safe way, that it actually doesn't. That it doesn't. That in that night, right, what I should have been thinking is I'm secure because I'm in the hand of God, regardless of my ge- geographical location. But I would have felt more at ease and more at peace with some vague thought or doubt in my mind if I had been on right, American soil rather than Middle Eastern soil. And so what, what Jesus is showing us here is that we can put security in a lot of things some of them that we can tangibly grab, others that are more ideas or thoughts. And he says, but they become obstacles to mission. That's why he's telling the disciples this. Hey, your fear of approval might mean that you don't spread the gospel, but they're going to drag you before courts, and I'm going to give you the words you need to say. Right? Hey, your desire for stuff and the deceitfulness of riches will mean that you'll make your life about that. It'll be your goal. It'll be your, where you pour out your energy and your time, right? It's where you're going to put your treasure and your effort, and then poof, it's gone. He's like, and it distracted you from mission. So approval and death can do that, right? And riches or the pursuit of them can do that. It can be that you don't have enough, and so you're like, I just need more. Or it can be that you have, and you've got to keep and hold on to it. He's saying these things are going to distract you from what I've called you to do, to put the kingdom first, to make my name known, and to trust me. And so even in this moment, would we ask the Spirit to, to give us a reflection in our own heart, in our own mind, of where we need to repent of something that we are putting hope in, trust in, or trying to grasp for security, that maybe the Spirit even now is showing you that's what you want and you think you need and it won't satisfy. Like even now would the Spirit reveal those things to us that we could confess and repent and turn to Him in grace, forgiveness, hope. So why would we trust? Like what does Jesus give His disciples in the crowd here as reasons why we would trust Him and live for His kingdom rather than the world's? The first is just going to be the is going to be like our Father's character. Look at verse 32. It says this, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Right? You can imagine fear and doubt and going, okay, God, what are we doing here? And He just sees it and He goes, hey, hey, fear not. 
You belong to Him. And it was your Father's good pleasure to give you what you need, to care for you. Right? He, this idea of flock, of, of little flock, He's just showing tender care and concern from the shepherd for us. That just as Janner would sit around a fire and, and, and look at me and say, hey, I'm not afraid of anything that's out here while we're camping, because you're with me, knowing I, He can't do anything about it. That Jesus is telling the disciples, the crowds, and us this morning, hey, you can't do anything about it. But fear not. Because you have a good Father who's a good shepherd, who sees you and cares for you. And we can trust His character. It's why in Luke 11, as we, were, as we looked at prayer, that He says, listen, your Father is a good Father who gives good gifts. And so you can go to Him constantly and consistently with your requests. And as He gives you those as you ask Him those requests, He's not going to give you a snake or a scorpion. He's going to give you what you need. And He knows best. He's going to give you what you need, even if it's not exactly what you want, because He is a good Father. So we trust God's character. We also trust God's action. Right? That He has told them, you don't have to fear death right? because of Me. Like I have eternity and I have you in My hands. That His care is comprehensive. He knows we need physical things, not just spiritual things. And so He's telling them, I'm going to provide for you for you, what you need, spiritually and physically. That He's in control. That we are secure in His provision. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. This is verse 32. Let me start in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Right. The reminder and the hope that we have in God's character and in His actions are this. He gave us Jesus. Right. Like When we were rebels opposed to Him, we have all been the fool who said there is no God, or if there is, right, we've rebelled against Him in our actions. We've sought our name, our kingdom, our ways, me and mine. And we've, we've lived on the throne of our own heart and our own kingdom foolishly. And while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated His love for us. That Jesus lived the life you were meant to live and you have failed to live. That we have failed to live. And then He died the death that we deserve. And then beating sin and Satan and death comes out of the tomb putting to open shame the authorities of this world, right? And calls us sons and daughters. Belonging, not because of our merits or our ability, but because of the good gift of grace from Jesus. And He calls us a part of the family. And so Paul is saying, hey, if God has done that when you did not deserve it, when you were damned, and He has come for you and rescued you and, and, and brought you in, you then think He's going to go, ah, figure it out from here. He's going to see you and care for you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to never leave you nor forsake you. But just like last week, when He doesn't give the disciples a promise that there won't be bodily harm, right? He doesn't tell them that. That's probably what they were longing for, right? Hey, when they drag you into the courts, when they drag you among the authorities, boom, right? Like, here's what's going to happen. He tells them, I'm going to give you the words to say. And don't fear those who can only touch your body. I have you. 
and your eternity is secure. And I won't leave you nor forsake you, but there is not a promise of no bodily harm. This week, as He's talking to them, as He's talking to us, there is not a promise of abundance. There's not. There's a promise of provision. That your good Father and His good character will give you what you need, even if it's not what you want. Even if it's not as much as you want. That He will see you, and He will care for you, and He will provide for you, and it may not look like the world or your neighbors. So what He's saying, do you trust Me? Do you trust Me in every situation, in every circumstance, that I see you and that I care for you, and that I will meet your needs? So we, why would we trust? Because of His character. Why would we trust? Because of His actions that He's already shown in Jesus. And then verse 33, why would we trust? Because He's given us something to seek, a reward to seek. He says, sell your possessions, give it to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He says, there is a reward to seek, and it's not temporary. The man who built the barns did not get to enjoy the barns. Right? His, he, he died. Ecclesiastes reminded us that of over and over, that the smart one, the, the fastest one, the, the strongest one, didn't always win. And sometimes they left it to a fool to enjoy after them. But eternally, right, there is a reward to seek that we pursue people, the things that God cares about. And He is putting forth treasure that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be stolen, that cannot be taken, that cannot be snatched. It is grass because it's His. And so He's saying, pursue Me. Know Me and my, my kingdom and My character. Trust Me and you will have Riches, not for a, for a few decades, but for eternity. For all time. In me. And yet, even in that, the deceitfulness of riches is, is whispering to you right now. Come on, you need it. You want it. Eighty years is a long time, right? Like we, that, that feels so far off. That feels so far off eternity. So live for you now. Live for yours now and get that later. And yet that man who built the, the rich fool didn't know that his life would be demanded of him that very night. Listen to how the author of Hebrews writes this. This is chapter 10. As he's writing to the church, he says... But recall the former days, in verse 32, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and listen to this church, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's saying, church, you've been in jail. You've suffered with those who've been in jail. You've had people come and take your stuff and you joyfully stood there and said, it's just stuff and it's temporary because there's a better, lasting, eternal reward that is coming for me for all time and it's better. Like what deep rootedness did the church have that they could stand and say, take my stuff. I don't care. I have Jesus. That is sufficient. What a beautiful sentiment 
and what a painfully difficult thing to actually believe and live. And yet the church has done it throughout history. And church, it's us now being called to believe and to trust that this is the nature and the character of our God who will see us through whether you have much or you have little. Jesus does not put numbers on this. He doesn't say if you have this much, it's too much and you're now sinning. He's not condemning wealth. He's not giving percentages here. He's simply saying, are we open-handed with the things that have been put in our hands? Being reminded, right, that, that Paul would write to the Corinthians, what do you have that you haven't received? So why do you boast like you've done something? Like you've received it. So if it's taken from you, for good or for bad, so what? It's temporary to begin with. He's given us eyes to see that the things that we have are fog, that they're vapor, that they're mist, to be used for God's glory, for the good of those around us. It's why He would tell us to pray in Luke 11.3, right in the Lord's Prayer, give us today my daily bread. Would I trust you on the daily, not just the, hey, give me enough so I don't have to trust you. Let me trust you today and tomorrow. Would we depend upon you? Would we trust you? And so the call for us this morning is to be generous. Like if we see the Lord in this way, if we see the kingdom in this way, then we become generous with everything. Our time, our energy, our resources, our prayers. Right? All of those things now become like a spiritual currency for the kingdom of God to go forth. To go forth for the good of those around us so that they would know and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so the call here this morning is not to have nothing, but it's to have nothing that holds you. Nothing that you won't give up for the glory and the sake of Jesus. Nothing that He can't say, no, 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 that is now theirs. Sell it and give it freely and gladly. And trust that I'm good and that I see you and that I'm with you and I'm for you. That nothing would hold us or have our heart that we would say, yeah, Jesus, not that. You can have this, but not that. That we would be generous, outpouring and outflowing a conduit of what the Lord has done out through us. Remember, He told them last week that He sees all. He knows the motivations and the intent of our heart and how we're looking at our stuff, and if it has us or not. Paul writes to Timothy, this is 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, which is proud, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life, which are people and knowing God, not in things or possessions or riches. So Jesus is calling us this morning to trust Him and to hold loosely to the things that have been given to us, to not find our hope, our security, our peace, our joy in them but to see them as the tools that they are temporarily for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the sake of His kingdom. And how easy is it to say that? And how absolutely difficult is it to believe and live it? Like, let's just confess that together. 
We can amen the beauty of that sentiment and have sweaty palms when it comes to what does that mean for me. So we do it together. Right? Like the, the risk that this man took was that he said, I, I, mine. He didn't ask those around him. He didn't have eyes for others. Are we, are we letting people peer in and say, hey, do you, do you need that? Not in an arrogant, like, like covetous way, but in a, a, an eye towards the kingdom of God. Just how different does the church look when they are gladly willing for their property to be plundered, when their hope is in Jesus, when they're not anxious people, when they are secure in the things of God, even when the world rails around us. So, a couple questions to end, and we'll be done. Ask the Lord, what has my heart? What has my heart this morning? Like, where am I not open-handed with something? Ask Him, Jesus, like, do you satisfy or do I believe something else would? And then maybe just ask for a reminder, God, where have I seen you provide in this way? Like, where have I seen you be faithful? Would you build that up? The reason Jesus would say it's better to give than to receive is in giving, it loosens that connection. It makes us open-hearted and open-handed that we believe what we are saying. We're putting our money literally right where our mouth is and giving those things away. For where your treasure is, verse 34, there your heart will be also. This is not one of those sermons that we sit and nod at and go out and have, have some knowledge. And then we move forward. Right? Jesus tells them, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do what I say. Would we wrestle and ask the Spirit to lead and guide each of us as individuals and families this week? It will not look the same for all of us. There is not a rule of life or rule of thumb here. This is based on what the Lord is doing in us as individuals and families and ultimately as a church. And so we should wrestle and struggle and ask Him to lead and guide us in this. But as the band comes back up, would we worship the One who has given us everything we need for life and godliness? That we have King Jesus. So the Lord's Supper is set up in three locations. An opportunity for us to, to take that cracker representing Jesus' body broken for us so that our body wasn't. That cup of juice that His blood spilt for us because our blood wasn't spilt. He has done what we could not do to make us sons and daughters of Him. He has given us everything. And that's how we remember and celebrate that this morning. So ask the Spirit before we run to the table, where do I need to confess sin? Where am I not trusting? Where am I holding on to something? And as we confess that, would you know that you would find grace and repentance? The table is for those who are trusting that today. There will be some men and women in the back of the room. If you need someone to talk to, to pray with, they'll be there. Feel free to stand. Feel free to sit. Feel free to move during any of these songs as we respond and worship our King who is faithful, who sees you, and who cares for you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your care. Thank you that you see us, that you know our fears and our doubts and our anxieties even in this moment. Of the things that we're afraid that you might ask of us, and so we don't even want to voice it or give thought to it. 
But Lord, would we be reminded that we can cast our fears, our doubts, and our anxieties upon you because you see us and you care for us. God, and that is significant. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us. Thank you that you don't forsake us. Thank you that daily you meet us with your grace and your mercy. So Father, would you allow us, would you guide us to be a generous people to find our hope, our security, our trust, and our lack of fear in you. And that it would be visible to the world. Lord, thank you that we have a historical church to look back on and see that you've done that and you'll do it again. Lord, would you speak? Your church is listening. In Jesus' name, amen.